The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Charlton, the rickety (laughs) car. You sweet bag of goodies, you. I'm going to take that voice and pitch it down an octave. Yeah. I can't wait. It's going to sound demonic. Yes, it will. I'm like Teasy's uh, in the house. Teasy on a mom so hard, subverse. What the? <laughs> Listen, I, I I can't today. I was awake. Like I said, kiddo was up every hour on the hour. The longest oh. hour she slept last night was an hour and 45 minutes. So by momming so hard, you actually are momming so hard? Well, I mean, whatever. I like I have mascara on today, and I might have actually put on deodorant. You're welcome. (laughs) It might have been yesterday, but it's probably still good. (laughs) Oh, it's good for at least two days. That's funny. Yeah. Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. And behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Sarita, the Edge, Edgerton. What's up? Man, I had such a great song. (laughs) Ooh. Da-na-na. 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 Cherry the Annihilator Lewis. That's good. Do you like being singed about? Singed about? Singed about. Sanged about. Sung. Sung about. Get it right. <laughs> How come is we saying we hanged? He he was hanged, but we don't sanged. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, the English, the English language, language is a mess. Yeah. Yes, we're a hot mess. Yes. Well, guys, we're finally back to our study. It's time to grow up. The last time in part we didn't three, want to grow up. No, so. absolutely <sighs> not. Last time in part three, I had said middle school to high school. I was a jerk. We are just going to do the freshman year. I'm still a jerk. <laughs> Sorry, but. Um, as we go through this study, you guys are. This is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. The, the Epistle of the Hebrews. I said it's my favorite book. It is one of the deepest books in the New Testament. It is a transition book, but it is jam packed, full of information. And we're adding to it. <laughs> like uh, the the direction that I'm coming from is adding even more to it. But I feel like it's one of the best ways to explain it. So in our last part, we focused in on how the new world would not be subject to angels. And it's so critical to understand that and to remember that. The world that the writer that this epistle lived in was a world that was subject to an angel. Now, this is where we probably will disagree, I would say. You know that I'm coming at it from a full preterist angle by saying subject to an angel. There are people that believe that our world is still subject to an angel. I do not. So this is where we're probably going to differ, and that might make this study hard for you. But if you can imagine as a partial preterist that this hasn't happened yet, then you can at least see a similarity in the language. It was very, very soon for the people who got this letter 
they're saying it's on, you can touch it. It's like the way Kim Burgess said is that you can stand on your tippy toes and look over a fence and you can see it and it's so close to you. So I'm saying something really you know big happened and that the world is no longer subject to an angel. However, there are some that believe otherwise. So just stick with me for a little while, if you will. All right. So he's telling his audience who were obviously falling for some mistaken doctrines regarding angels that they were about to be in the new world, where a man would take control of the world. The adversary, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, was at the time of this letter, the God of this world. However, the new world would not be subject to him. So either you're in the new world or you aren't. If you recall, we've went through some Deuteronomy passages at length, and the reason why is twofold. First, it's a covenantal relationship in effect between God and Israel. That's an important piece of understanding how God relates to mankind that he has chosen to relate to. Second, Deuteronomy is a major transition book. It's a wilderness walking children of Israel talking about to cross the River Jordan into the promised land book. And Deuteronomy is also the book that Jesus Christ quoted from when he defeats Satan during his temptation in the wilderness. The epistle to the Hebrews is also a transition book, much like Deuteronomy. The author is living in that old covenant system but was a believer in the Messiah who had already come, but the all things under subjection wasn't fully realized yet. This is why it's so important that we understand where we are in time regarding this letter. Were you about to say something, right? It's almost like a post-dated check. Yeah, yeah. You've got money in your hand, but it's not good until the date comes of age. That's, That's a good way to put it. I like it. So it's like you're standing on the banks of the Jordan and Moses is telling you, hey, you're crossing over now. You've been in this 40-year transition period in the wilderness, and now it's time to leave that wasteland. I've taught you how to be in a relationship with our God who is giving you this land. God provided manna from heaven. He provided water from a rock. Don't forget what I've taught you about him. Don't forget what God brought you out of, bondage physically and spiritually in Egypt. If you neglect what God has done for you, he'll take this land of promise away from you. Then Joshua and the 12 tribes crossed the Jordan and the wars began. And over centuries and centuries, you eventually get into King David ruling in Jerusalem. Then more and more centuries of the prophets bringing messages from God regarding the covenant and the land until you reach this period of time we call the 400 years of silence, which is the time from the final prophet Malachi to the birth of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist yells, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it was within reach on the scene. It's here, except that was in the physical realm, a realm ruled by an angel, Satan. Does this make sense to you guys? This is a physical thing we're talking about. We have to remember that. And we have to understand it if we're going to understand this letter, all right? God was operating within the angel-ruled world with a very small and insignificant people. And yes, God is all-powerful, but due to the circumstances of the way that God set up this world, a world that he has limited himself with for a specific purpose he determined, nonetheless, the Bible is clear that this is, I don't wonder what it is, that this is so, I'm sorry. He is a patient, almighty God. He operated in the world based on those limitations. It always starts small, planted, watered, but God increases it. Mustard seed to tree stuff. So try and track with me on this, okay? Jesus is born into a Roman empire, occupied Israel. The adversary, Satan, is at the top of his game. So after Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, the gospel of Matthew tells us what, Andy? 
I just when you said Satan was at the top of his game, all I could think of was like Satan dunking so hard. <laughs> I always think of uh, uh, that dude from. That's that's not what I was supposed to read. But <laughs> what was the, what's the name of that actor that played Satan so well with Keanu Reeves? And it was Al Pacino. Oh yeah, no, Pacino. Uh, he yeah. played John Satan. Mark- he was that. No. I, I'm a fan of man. Yeah. You know that guy. That was the Satan. Anyway, sorry. Okay. So, so Andy, what does Matthew tell us? Four uh, one Nasby twenty twenty which I read only because I wanted to say NASB 2020. Uh, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, so what does the gospel according to Mark say in regard to this event, Tiziana? Yeah, in Mark 1, 12 and 13, it says, and immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and the angels were serving him. All right, rickening. How about Luke's gospel? Uh, Luke 4, 1 and 2, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing for those days, and when they had ended, he was hungry. All right, so the Gospel of John, interestingly enough, does not mention this account. And there are reasons why, but I'm not going into that, into that direction at the moment. And if you'd like to know why, then go to Berean Bible Church's YouTube channel and go find Bob Cruikshank's lesson on the binding of Satan in the Gospels from the 2022 conference. Oh, that's a good one. It is a very good one. Oof. And I'll try and remember to put this in the link, guys. If you listen to it, go back to the little paragraph blurb that I put at the beginning of every podcast. I will have a link for there, a link for you there, I hope, I hope guys. Uh, so Jesus begins his journey going directly to the source of power in the physical wilderness and goes through a temptation event with the angel the world is in subjection to. Remember, the Holy Spirit led him, the man, there to this place. So let's put it all together. Jesus tells his audience about the kingdom of heaven, or it's also called the kingdom of God. And this is a spiritual realm. We know this because of how Jesus describes it. Ralph, can you read how Jesus describes the kingdom of God in Luke 17, 20 uh, through 21? Now he was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right, so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees when he says this, and later he'll call them blind guides. They can't see it. Why? They have eyes, right? Okay, they're blind to what is happening. Sarita, can you read in Matthew 15 how Jesus explains this? Matthew 15, 3 through 4. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves also break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you by saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my father, my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of blind people. 
And if a person who is a who is blind guides another who is blind, both will fall into a pit. Right. So understanding that the leaders are missing the entire reason for God's commands to his people, it isn't hard for us to understand that they made the mistake of who the Messiah was and what his purpose would be. There is a throne at the right hand of God for the descendant of David that will be there forever. We do not physically see this throne. We are told it is there. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. It's those who are born of the spirit that know this throne and the realm is there. The Pharisees couldn't see it, but can you see it? Do you need eyes to see it? So this covenant that is coming isn't just a physical covenant. It's a physical and spiritual simultaneously covenant. The best way I can describe this to someone who doesn't believe this is to say it's kind of like mind over matter. It's operating on a plane of existence that overcomes the natural order of things. It's transcendental. The difference between that description and the biblical one is that prior to Jesus Christ and the operation of the Holy Spirit, mankind simply could not do this and get to God, the Creator. In essence, Jesus changed all of this by His life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The Bible calls him the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, he was the beginning or the genesis of those who would overcome death. Jesus brought this capability with this covenant, but this capability only comes through Jesus Christ. It's a new kind of covenant. It's a forever covenant, one that God had in store for his people everywhere, always, not just in a specific physical land space within the created earth. It's much, much bigger than that. Jesus is leading us back to the Garden of Eden, but it's a newly prepared place like where Adam walked with God. His purpose on earth was taking the power back from Satan, taking dominion over the created order and leading the created mankind back to God in spirit and in truth, not in the physical knowledge of good and evil way. He's overcoming that world. Jesus was a physical man, on a mission to defeat a spiritual angel for God, who is spirit and not a man, to get mankind back in their rightful place in both the physical and spiritual realms to become co-heirs of his kingdom of heaven. But here's what you have to understand about the new world. The residents of the kingdom of heaven are still in the knowledge of good and evil construct physically. Jesus is the gate that causes you to transcend into the spiritual realm. It's both... And are you guys tracking with me? Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? What I'm saying is that just like in John 11, whenever Martha comes up to him and says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man, if a man dies and believeth in me, then he will, he will be alive, made alive. But if he is alive and believes in me, he will never die. Something happens because of who Christ is. This life happens now. So the moment that you put your trust and faith in Christ, you suddenly become eternal. Yet you're living in a realm that isn't. Does this make sense? Because if I say, all right, let's just quote John 3.16 together. For God so loved, loved the, the world, world that, that he, he gave, gave his, his only begotten, begotten Son, that, that whosoever believeth in him, him shall not perish. perish but have, have everlasting, everlasting life. life. So you do not perish, 
but you have everlasting life if you believe in him. That is happening in the now time, in the physical time. If I look at you and say, are, do you believe in Christ? Do you believe that you have everlasting life? Do you, you believe that you get everlasting life later or do you have it now? Now. Exactly. So if you have it now, something has changed in our physical realm that didn't exist prior to this letter. Do you get it? That didn't happen. People went to Sheol, which is what we were talking about earlier tonight. You guys, I can't wait for next week for you guys to hear Josh Sexton's testimony. It's fantastic. But that's what, when he gives you his answer about where do you go when you die, it's one of the most honest answers I've ever heard on this program. So I can't wait for you guys to hear that. All right, so he, the man, or second Adam, did it through living perfectly according to God's laws and the physical knowledge of good and evil construct. This is what we mean when we say he defeated sin. What the angel who controls this world or Satan didn't know was that by doing so, Jesus could offer grace from God because of what he did to anyone that put their trust in him. So Jesus, the man, the Holy Son of God, is leading us back to the garden where man can walk with God again. Only now, although you have the knowledge of good and evil within you, he covers you with his perfection in the eyes of God, and God can look at you through the Jesus lens. That's what being covered by the blood means. It's a purification of your very self that gives you a perfect standing with God if you're a believer, okay? You have this right now. It's not future it's present, eternal, always. And that wasn't entirely settled for the recipients of this letter in AD 65. They had the grace, but the not yet complete. Why? I'll explain that in a later episode, okay? I, I, I'll, uh, later in this episode. I have a question because yes, I, I think I'm lost. Okay. Um, you said it didn't happen to this letter, but didn't it happen when Christ died? What I'm, and was risen? All things weren't Or this didn't into, happen to these people? So what or we're you're talking, talking about AD 70? We're talking about all things were not in subjection. So he says, right now, we do not see all things in subjection, but it is about to happen. About to. So you're Mellow. Talking, right away. This is getting ready to happen. So you're getting talking about AD 70 then? If you want to give away like AD 70, like... I, what I'm trying to lead you to is that there is something in particular that has to happen for them before it's complete. What would it be? There's something that has to happen. Is it the return of Christ? Yeah. Right. And is there something else? And we're going to get into that. We have to in Hebrews. AD 70 is the time of the destruction of the temple. Exactly. Did it matter? And if it did matter, what's it about? What are all of the circumstances surrounding it? Because that's the only thing that's major going to happen to them in the next two to three years. They're going to be invaded, and they're going to be surrounded, and they're going to go through hell on earth. And then their entire their entire system is done. They they bury everything. They kill all the priests. They wipe out those stones. Every stone the is turned. They actually exactly. There's so much that's happening. So these, these. I just want to make sure to stop and ask that because if I was getting somewhat lost, I, I think I was following you. I was just a little lost. Yeah, and that's sure. why. And that's why I said at the beginning of this episode, you got to remember where I'm coming from. I know I'm a full preterist. I'm not driving this home. I know. I just want to make sure that everyone else is kind of seeing it. Yeah, I just want everybody to. to know where you are in the time frame of when they receive this letter. This is right before it all happens. 
It's prophetic. Yes, he's telling them, "Hey, all of the all of the fathers, you know, they they talked about this. They said this was going to happen, and then and now in these last days, we have heard it through his son, and this is what he's saying. And you are worshiping angels. The next world's not going to be subject to an angel. We would we're living in a world that's subject to an angel." That's what he's screaming. And he's giving you the psalm after psalm after psalm, like trying to give you this vivid picture. So instead of being like Moses and not getting to cross over into the promised land, Jesus crossed over and took control of the spiritual landscapes, taking the keys of death in Hades, ascended to the right hand of power and prepared a place for his people or his bride, as the Bible calls it. He sent the Holy Spirit back across the spiritual Jordan to his people to prepare them for his return. The Holy Spirit would lead his people in another 40-year wilderness journey. Now, this again is where the arguments will come in. You can't call the millennial reign 40 years. Fine. Don't call it that if you don't want. But what I tell you is that Jesus died in AD 30, and he said the temple would be destroyed. And in AD 70, it happened. And it's the exact 40 years. And all of Matthew is a second exodus. And everything that is taught that that is being taught is that when this date, when this happens, Jesus tells you everything that's going to happen. So just go with me on this. It's a 40-year transition period. In my opinion, this is my opinion. So in this 40-year transition journey with the Holy Spirit, people, some new covenant believers were believing in angels, kind of like the children of Israel who were mixing with other nations and seeking out mediums when they weren't supposed to. They had the Holy Spirit, but were they listening do you listen to the Holy Spirit wrestling with your nature? So this letter is to help the believers understand that and much, much more. They needed to mature. They needed to grow up. The all things under subjection moment was coming fast, very fast. Today, you, the listener, are faced with this choice. Are you living in the already but not yet like those Hebrews, or are you living in the new world that they called the age to come? You know that you're not living in the old covenant age. You can't be. You're not following the sacrificial laws. Christ finished that on the cross, and that's easy. Am I right? Now listen, the Bible is an ancient book. However, you're going to find it does affect your present. You just need to know how. And it wasn't written to you, but it was written for your benefit, so you could know the time in which you live. This is where the rubber meets the road in this study. From here on out, the study may not be palatable for you, and I hope you'll stay with me. It can change your life if you'll let it. Okay, freshman, let's get to it. I have, a, I, I have a, something to insert real quick. You know, we have two sets of people waiting for Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah, and the Christians who don't believe in AD 70 are still waiting for Christ to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of us who do believe in AD 70 still believe he's coming back again. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, but, yeah. that's, so that's but, but that's the group. end. But there's a third group. That's the partial preterist view. That's yep. the post-millennial view is what you're talking about. Yes. Are you a post-millennial partial preterist? <laughs> I don't label myself as <laughs> No, is that what you no. are? I don't you don't have, You're I, I'm right? not a full preterist either. I'm not a full preterist. I, I'm called that because I'm labeled that because of where I stand. Where I have a hard I believe, time with this is that you, well, first, uh, we're not into this, so maybe I'll wait and say what I have a problem with at the end. How about that? Yeah, you can, or well, you I'd can like do it now. Think, I'd like to hear it now so I can think about it, and he can <laughs> cut it if you want him to. Okay, <laughs> so my, my problem, or the problem I have in general with some of the things that I've been studying and, and you believe, is that it seems like— you're saying that there is no demonic or satanic influence going on in this world. Are you believing that or not believing that? I don't believe that the God of the world of the, of the time is now in control. 
Do I believe that there are evil spirits? Yes. Do I believe that there are things that are against Christ? Yes. In the spiritual realm? Yes. But I don't believe it's the Satan that were that was over the Israel of the time, that was over Rome at the time. That one was defeated. That adversary. The Satan that we all think that controls, that we think is the God of this world today, that a lot of churches believe, no, he's not the God of this world anymore. Christ has actually sat down at the right hand of God, correct? He's at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so when he ascended, and then, then like it says in this letter, until I make thine enemies the footstool, I go very deep in what I think goes under the footstool because I know that you or you or you or anyone else in here cannot take my soul from me. Back then, you would be killed and your soul would go to Sheol. If you kill me today, where does my soul go? A lot of people would say, oh, well, it's going to wait, or it's, it's going to be present with the Lord, or whatever. There's a lot of confusion about that. I state, in my belief, that I go to be in the presence of God, and then I'm given a new body. That's the spiritual new body that we talk about, right? So, But does that mean that the Satan was defeated but still here? That means that there will always be sin— on the physical earth, how, how it measures, like how you're measured by it, is whether you trust Christ or not. You see, the covering of the blood is whenever you can be a sinner, but you're also a saint. Are you a saint? Sure. And why are you a saint? Jesus' blood. He made you one, right? But you put your trust in him for all things, Correct. Oh yeah. So, well, if, <laughs> but we still make mistakes. I would like to say I do that all the time, but no. Okay. <laughs> theoretically, okay. no. That's I great. That's yeah, great. With that. my humanness, if I doesn't I'm, show. If your I desire say, is to do that. Yeah. Right. My, my desire is to. Does serve the Holy Jesus Spirit like wrestle with your flesh? Do you know that you have things inside you that you want to do, and then the Holy Spirit tells you? I do that don't. which I do not want to do, and I don't do what I should do. Yeah, the doo doo verse. The doo doo. Yeah. Lots of doo doos. The doo doo verse. Yeah. That I mean, and, and that's exactly what it is. So, in order to, in order for us to believe that we have everlasting life, we are in that same place that Jesus was described to Martha. When you come into the age to come, uh, anyone who is alive and believes in me will never die. So, we, if you think about only in the physical realm, if your physical body dies, do you die? The I mean, physical body dies, but my do soul you, is eternal. But see, the only way the only way that could happen is if everything that Christ said is fulfilled. That's the resurrection. That is the resurrection, isn't it? Well, are we done for now? For now. Okay. So, um, Tiziana, do you yeah. mind reading? Billy's not here. Will you mind reading um, verses? Two, yeah, five through eight. Yeah. For he did not subject to angels the world to come, about which we are speaking. But someone has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you think of him, or a son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him a little lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put everything in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we we do not yet see all things subjected to him. See that part right there? What? But now we do not see all things subjected? Here's the part that... Um, the cancel check, or the... Post-dated. The, the post-dated check. You've lost an entire group of millennials right there. 
Yeah. What? A, no, actually, they're like so, googling it. Don't what's they have the check? Like, paycheck? What's a check? Like paycheck advance on your? It goes what right in like, your. What's the check? Yeah, it goes oh. right in your, your advance check now. on yeah, your no. app now. Yeah, just, but I mean, yeah. if you're talking about, he's saying just so. So, but but yet now we do not see all things subjected to him because at that time the Roman government was still subjecting the Jewish people, right? Like there still hadn't been any sort of like political, major political manifestation that would have like freed, quote unquote, the Jews from that level of subjugation. To me, the, yes. And and also the fact that the nation itself had become apostate with God's laws. And so whenever he was making his, fulfilling his promises to Israel, Paul makes a statement. He said, not all of Israel is Israel, right? And that there is now no longer Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free, nor, right. So there's this, there's this change that's going on. I'm sorry, Rick, did, are we sidetracking you here? So there's this, there's a thing that's happening in Jerusalem, which was the capital of their worship center. And so that apostate nation had killed the Christ and Christ had told it, you're going to be destroyed. So that was no, that was not in subjection because animal sacrifice was still happening. But then you also had, they were being trampled by the Gentiles and so, and Christ is the light to the Gentiles, which is why Paul came, right? That's what Paul was used for. So this, you're in this really, really crazy transition phase where the Old Testament law and all of it was going to be, it was come to a close. And so when that happens, we ask the question, what does it mean to be subjection, you know, in subjection? That's why the difference, we talked about, you know, the end of human history some people believe that it has to be the end of human history. And I don't. I don't because of something that I read in the end of Revelation and what the new Jerusalem looks like in the holy city and what's outside of the holy city and how they can all live. And so— Is that the new Eden? Yeah. We, the new Eden is where you can have access to the tree of life. And that's in Revelation. It talks about that. Yeah. What were you going to say, Rick? Well, there's a— Kind of a, I don't want to take over this, but a, kind of a lot to say. Everybody, I mean, does everybody know Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. The mm-hmm. picture of the statue? By about close to where this letter's written is where the feet are. It's that miry mixed clay where Israel is. They're completely mixed up with everybody. And soon to be is that rock, that the rock from the mountain that comes down to smash it. It doesn't. It doesn't smash the the head of the statue. It smashes at its feet, and when you smash the feet, is when the whole statue comes down. Something to add into your question, from a full preterist perspective, we hang everything on seventy A.D., but it's we can't necessarily hang it all on there. That's just the finish line, the coup de grace, the the fine, the big finale of everything. God is is playing chess and setting all the pieces up in order for that to take place so that when that happens, everything that's put in subjection, which is what exactly what this verse is talking about that we just read, verse 8 of Hebrews 2, is leading up to, is where in order for him to put everything under subjection, everything has to be in place. Reading the full book of Josephus, not just the war part, but the first part, you start to see a lot of what Rome is doing for those God pieces start to come into place and where things start happening. One of the things that I felt that um, one of the somebody brought up a question 
and, and it's coming from a, a dispensational view, is about being submissive to government. Because Paul writes about it, that we should be submissive to government. Well, from his perspective, being a Roman, he knew what it was like to go against the government. Because if you went against Rome, what would happen? You get killed. Exactly. So he's your, te- yeah. you need to be submissive enough to where you don't get attacked. Because he knew what would happen. You can look at, read the book of Acts, and that was all at the time. Look at every time Paul was doing something. He, he was getting kicked out of cities. And cities were going in uproars. So God is playing chess in the long game to make it happen. And the biggest event that comes up is 70 AD, which is the finale, but not the coat hanger of everything. Because everything that we can't see in the secular world that's going on, we can't see that because we're all reading it from a, from a spiritual perspective, what the Bible's talking about. So re, like I said, one of the biggest helps to see the sort of secular will or the Roman side of it is reading the, the full book of Josephus because he starts showing you that stuff that's going on, all of the mess that's happening. Oh, there's a lot of turmoil everywhere. Well, you see the political side. And the melding of all these cultures. Yeah, well, you see that, and like I said, the political side of the hierarchy, what's going on where people were getting killed because of, you know, they were, um, the political reasons. You get to see that. and well, Everybody's trying to hold on to power, but it was a big shift. Yeah, I mean, and my intention was never to hang all of this on an AD 70 talk. That was not my intention. No, I know it's not. No, my intention was to tell you that this letter was written in AD 65 and let you to figure it out on your own. Because listen to what the author says throughout this entire book, because he's going to lead you right to it. And I don't have to tell you what happened. I can just tell you, go Google it and see if it's still there. That's all I have to say. So anyway, let's not get too far. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. So what what you just heard Tiziana read— um, earlier was from Psalm, from Psalm 8. And Cherry, do you mind to read Psalm 8, the whole thing, uh, all nine verses? Psalm 8, 1 through 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your enemies to do away with the enemy and the revengeful. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you think of him, and a son of man that you are concerned about him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You have him rule over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the path of the seas, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So there is something very important in this psalm that the writer of the Hebrews is conveying. And Cherry just said something different than Tiziana had just read. And although they both read from the NASB, Tiziana said lower than the angels, and Cherry said a little lower than God. And so that hit me funny. Why would that be different? The Hebrew word for angel is malach, which means messenger, and it is used in a lot of the Old Testament. Uh, Sarita, can you give us the definition of malach? Malach, description from an unused root meaning to dispatch as a deputy, a messenger, specifically of God, i.e. an angel, also a prophet, priest, or teacher, ambassador, angel, king, messenger. 
so, but in Psalm 8, it's not malach. David uses a different word. He uses the Hebrew word Elohim. And that's very interesting to me. So I went to my Strong's Concordance and I did some digging here. Uh, Charlton, can you give us the definition of Elohim? That's H430 Hebrew. Pronunciation is Elohim. The description is plural, gods in the ordinary sense, but specifically used in the plural, thus especially in the article of supreme god, occasionally applied by way of a deference to uh, magistrates and sometimes a superlative angels. It's an idiom exceeding gods, god and gods, very great judges, which is an idiom for mighty. Usage god is used two 46 times. God is used 244 times. Judge is five times. God in capital letters, one time. Goddesses, two times. Great, two times. Mighty, two times. Angels, once. Exceeding, once. God word with H4136, one time. Godly, one time. Right. So sometimes this word, Elohim, is, is used as a superlative. It is used in this way once, only once. Right here in Psalm 8, and the writer of Hebrews knows it. And I promise you, this writer knows exactly what he's doing. Tiziana, what is the definition of superlative? Yeah, superlative, it's an adjective that means of the highest quality or degree, a superlative piece of skill. So excellent, magnificent, wonderful, glorious, marvelous, brilliant, supreme, consummate, outstanding. In my head, this is all about me. <laughs> I was yes. just thinking, yeah. I gotta, I, I, there's Andy. all these words Andy's you can just like, put oh, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dazzling, remarkable, formidable, fine, choice, sterling, first rate, first class, of the first water, of the first order, of the highest order, premier, prime, unsurpassed, unequal, unparalleled, unrivaled, unbeatable, peerless, matchless, singular, unique, transcendent, best, greatest, worthiest, preeminent, perfect, flawless, faultless, crack, Ace, stellar, wicked, badass, on fleek, and might I add the illest. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that my guy. In grammar, yeah. In grammar of an adjective or adverb expressing the highest or a very high degree of quality, the bravest, the most fierce, an exaggerated or hyperbolic expression of praise, the critics ran out of superlatives to describe him. Well, well, well. So what do we have here? So here's my paraphrase. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you are concerned with him? For a little while, you made him lower than those super special spiritual beings when the world was being created. I'll show you why I think this way in a few minutes. The writer to the Hebrews is showing his readers again how unique Jesus was. And by the way, guys, all of those things that you just described, like what everything you just said, Tiziana, I could easily say the matchless Jesus, the singular Jesus, the transcendent, the greatest, the worthiest, the flawless. Yeah. All I of would, those describe the one. B.A. <laughs> you don't have I'm to say that. Sure He's I'm the not. baddest. You can say the baddest. I can say the baddest, but I don't yeah, know I if I'd say that about Jesus. I, I don't know that I would say he's on fleek either. I don't no. even know what that means, <laughs> but I know it's really good. Well, you got the millennials back with that. Ah, Fleek, okay. is, oh, there we go. Fleek is sort of a term about uh, your clothing choices. Yeah. <laughs> so your the riz. writer to your the riz. Hebrews. There you go. That's another one. Is showing his readers again how unique Jesus was, is, and is to come in their time. 
The rabbis, this is such a cool thing that I learned. The rabbis had interpreted Psalm 8 in a very interesting way. We find these teachings in the Midrash Tehillim and Agadah. Did I say that right, Tiziana? I don't. I couldn't tell. I you. don't know. I know. I wish I knew more about Hebrew. I, I blew, blew, blew the Agada or Agada A G G A D A H Agada. Yeah. Or non-legalistic Jewish writing of the Psalms. Ralph, could you explain this a little further? According to Midrash Tehillim, Jewish rabbinical writings, verses five through ten of Psalms eight and the Hebrew contain questions that the angels asked God as God was creating the world, referring to the righteous men of Israel. What is man that you are mindful of him? Referring to Abraham, Genesis 19, 29. And the son of man that you remember him? Referring to Abraham's son Isaac, who was born as a result of God remembering Sarah, Genesis 21, 1. Yet you made him less only than God referring to Jacob, who was able to produce streaked, speckled, and spotted flocks, Genesis 30, 39. And you have crowned him with glory and honor, referring to Moses, whose face shone, Exodus 34, 29. You give him dominion over the work of your hands, referring to Joshua, who made the sun and the moon stand still, Joshua 10, 12-13. You put all things beneath his feet, referring to David, whose enemies fell before him, 2 Samuel twenty-two forty-three, Sheep and oxen, all of them, referring to Solomon, who understood the language of the beasts, 1 Kings five thirteen, And the beasts of the field, referring to either Samson or Daniel. The birds of the sky, referring to Elijah, who navigates the world like a bird and who also received food from the ravens, 1 Kings seventeen six. And the fish of the seas, referring to Jonah, who dwelled in the belly of a fish, Jonah 2.1. He traverses the way of the seas, referring to the Israelites, who walked through the sea on dry land, Exodus 15.19. O Lord, our Lord, how glorious is your name in all the earth. Thus the angels concluded, do what pleases you. Your glory is to sojourn with your people and with your children. Thanks, Ralph. So this is how the Jewish rabbis understood Psalm 8 before the 11th century AD. I went and searched. That's as far back as we have reference, but it seems like the Jewish people of the time and culture of the epistle to the Hebrews had come to the same conclusion centuries earlier. The writer of the Hebrews knows this. I know he knows this. He's telling his Jewish Christian readers that what David was actually saying was in regard to the second Adam, Jesus the Messiah. So I think the psalmist is describing the angels asking questions about the first Adam. And the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews understands the preeminence of the Son of Man. Jesus in this context is the fullness and fulfillment of the psalm as the second Adam. And I think the rabbis were correct in their interpretation of the psalm and its original intent when it was written prior to Christ. That's something I got to stop from the notes. Something you have to remember. These people were placed in their specific times and they're reading things and relating to it in their time. So they're looking at it from what they know. And the writer of the Hebrews is much, much later. He's got such a different perspective, just kind of like we are so much, much later and can look back at the New Testament Long after it's been written, the people, the guy who wrote Hebrews probably never read the Gospel of Matthew. We don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? He's writing the book that he's that that he's doing. So this is all, anyway. Oh yeah, it was the letter he wrote. So how would he have read it? Right. Yeah. So there were special spiritual Elohim or Elohim present at the creation of man. Okay. 
Um, and we learn this when God comes to Job in a whirlwind and answers his questions with a few questions of his own. Cherry, do you mind reading Job 38, 1 through 7? Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Now tighten the belt on your waist like a man, and I shall ask you, and you inform me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements? Since you know, or who stretched the measuring line over it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So right there, God himself. (laughs) The sons of God were there during creation, period. Or as the cool kids say, period. (laughs) Thanks, Sarita, for sharing that video of the Holderness family. It really was good. I love that. So yeah, all of what we just did would have been a flash of thought for the original readers of this letter. Just a flash, guys. They know so much, it's just a flash in their mind. So we have to dig deeper than they did, okay? So now I can get back to my earlier question. I said that the believer at the time of this letter in 8065 didn't have what we have today. Why? The next verse in Hebrews 2 tells us why. Andy, could you read verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 2? You have put everything in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subject to him. So am I saying that everything is subjected under his feet? Yes, I am. And here is the place where you'll most likely disagree with me. So look around, Rick. How could you possibly believe everything and all God's enemies are under his feet and subjected to him? The world is crazy right now. Islam is on the rise. There's school shootings, abortion, war, terrorism, corporate greed. You can't be serious. Well, I am. Welcome to the 10th grade, sophomores. You probably won't want to keep studying with me after this. (laughs) (laughs) Now's your chance. Anybody else have anything they want to say before we wrap it up? I'd say now's your chance to study. No, I mean, I just, this is really where it's at. Well, I don't mean you. I mean, this is something for people to really think about and to try to pull apart because there's a lot there. And there's a lot of parts coming together. And I think now is the time for people to start studying what all those parts are so that as you go forward in this, they can see those parts and watch them come together. Like you take a a puzzle of the world and you know how sometimes you see it on a video, you got this puzzle of the world and then it slowly comes together. Mm -hmm. People study now to look at what all those parts are in that say, 10-year time frame, so that as you're going through, finishing going through this, they can actually see this coming together as you're, as you're going through it. Yeah, I think... I that doesn't mean they have to believe it. The but. way, Well, just the way that I'm, I guess, the way that I'm going to this, and this, I'll, I'll talk about this in a later, you know, a later part that I wrote and gave it to you guys, but I'll just, you know, I'll do it now since we opened it up the can of worms. I'm a physical pacifist but a spiritual warrior. So meaning that I will allow someone to take my life. I will not take theirs because I know that my life is hidden in Christ with God because of what Christ did for me. I also know that Christ never struck a human being outside of the temple and he was defending the temple with a quarter of ropes, and that took a minute, like Tiziana said. It took a minute to make that, right? 
Yeah. But he whipped them to get them out because they were thieves that were stealing from the people who were trying to get to God. There's a difference. Okay, there's a big difference. Um, I do not believe in the use of war to bring peace. And I know that people will argue with me about the Second Amendment right and the and, and the being able to defend themselves with guns and go for it. Like, I'm not going to tell you you can't. And when Gary DeMar said to me, hey, Rick, you know, isn't it, think about all those pacifist groups. Isn't it funny that they move to a nation where they're protected by other people with arms? And my point is, so what? Jesus Christ died. Peter died. Paul died. James died. Stephen died. All of those men could have picked up a sword and shoved it through a Roman soldier and died in battle, but they didn't. Why? Why didn't they? And the reason why is because they have a life that's hidden in Christ and God. They don't fight you physically because it's not a physical war. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You get it? So in order for us to be able to do that, it's because we've been given an eternity in our hearts that we never lose. We've also been given a will to live. Yes. We have been given a desire to do any, we, we will do just about anything to survive. Mm-hmm. That has been proven. That's why all these survival shows are so, even though they're staged and whatever, but that's fine about yourself, but you have children. Mm-hmm. Are you so assured of their place in heaven that if they were under attack, would you not? No, defend I defend them? my children and my wife. But then you're not a pacifist. Yes, I am. How is that not a pacifist? You're not a pacifist if you're going to invoke violence. I'm to expected save your to help the helpless. Am I not? I think you're uh, splitting hairs right there, <laughs> sir. No, just... no, 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 no. Defense and offense are very different. Defense... I'm defending myself. Okay, am I supposed to let somebody rape me because I'm... I love them and I want them to? to no, have... I never said that you had to be raped. Yes, but you just said you let somebody kill you. Yes, that's, if, a, if... that's as bad as rape. We're talking. It's worse than rape. I think. I don't know. Because you got to live afterwards. Well, you, maybe you're right. Maybe rape's worse than death. Because when I die, we're done here. I'm like, me and Jesus be chilling. <laughs> you know, I'm like not that worried about death. <laughs> the the argument of spiritual, like if somebody comes after my wife, am I going to try to stop them from hurting my wife? Absolutely. Am I going to kill them? No. If I can prevent it, I won't. I will try not to kill them. But what, what I don't I- need a pistol to shoot them in the knee or shoot them in the face. I don't need any of that. I can try physically to stop it. Yes, but I can't. Okay. Well, what I'm hearing you say, if I'm, let me just see if I'm hearing you correctly. When you say you're a pacifist, mm-hmm. what you're, what you're also, what you're saying, and especially because this is in the context of, you know, the heroes of old in our scriptures who mm-hmm. were preaching the word of God and who submitted themselves to the hands of the authorities. Mm-hmm. What you're saying when you say you're a pacifist is you do not believe in taking up arms against the government, That's against, right. you know, a person who disbelieves you. You're not a proponent of using uh, weaponry to enforce your ideology or belief system on another person. That's correct. And that if you find yourself, because of your belief system and your ideology, on the receiving end of some sort of governmental plan that involves physical harm, you are, like the martyrs, going to say, you know what, I'm not going to— I'm not going to participate in all of this because my hope is assured. Um, and that is a different stance than you have yes. when just some rando breaks into your house. That's right. Big and difference. Like, yeah. So when you're saying you're a pacifist, you're not talking about um, 
on like the micro level of like a one-on-one. You're talking on like the macro level. It's You're not, not going to take up arms and like it's a— It's not an encompassing ideology. It is a script dictated by things you see in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You're not going to so take the mark as simple of the beast. As, it's not as simple as violence slash no violence, I think. Uh, let me give you an example. So Jesus tells Peter to bring a sword, right? They're getting ready to go. You better bring a sword, Peter. That's what Jesus says to Peter. Then later, whenever Jesus is being captured. Yeah, he cuts that guy's ear off. And then Peter cuts Malchus's ear off. What does Jesus say to him? Peter, put away your sword. But yet he told him to bring a sword. Told him to bring it, didn't tell him to use it. No, he wanted him to lay it down. That's the lesson. Peter, do you not know that I can call 12 legions of angels right now? Put your sword away. This is not for fighting with, it's to lay down. My kingdom is not of this place. Well, he told that to Caiaphas right after that. Yeah, look at what Pilate says to him. Pilate looks at him and he was like, you're a king? He was like, you say that I'm a king. You said it. I didn't say it. My kingdom is not even of this place. I don't care about your stone and your wood and your stuff like you're missing it my kingdom is not even of this place so as christians our kingdom's not of this place either so we're no. not really supposed to be or what you're suggesting is that for us to get all wrapped in and around like sort of the the conflict of this world mm-hmm. you know is is beneath us really to me we that's where like satan's getting, playground is is yeah, getting us caught up bust- in the conflict of the world yeah I, I just— But we, I don't even know what that means exactly. We serve a king. But I'm just, you know— If, if he's at the right hand of the Father, look, if we're going to read the Bible and we're going we're gonna to say, okay, Jesus is the king, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we are to be his servants, then we are—we are subjects to that. First— that, that's yes. first. That's why, like, I don't necessarily— like, This is one of those unpopular beliefs, but I don't really feel like— super strongly about my identity as American mm-hmm. because it doesn't supersede my identity as a Christian. Yes. I don't see those two things as synonymous. Like some some people believe that mm-hmm. their national identity is as their Christianity. And I don't think that's true. No, I've Christians said many times Jesus was not an American. So I don't feel like particularly passionate about, you know, I'm an American. That's mm-hmm. just like one aspect of my identity. Like I have blue eyes. It's something I kind of was born into that it's not really what I've cultivated. So I feel fine to criticize America <laughs> in whatever way I feel like is necessary. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that that makes me less of a Christian in some regards. Right. And, because and that's just, what, that's where, that's where our, our, our citizenship as kingdom members supersedes any other possible identity that we could, po- that we could embody. Yeah. You know? I mean, most of the, most of the people, most of the people that I, that are in my circles are like very staunch, conservative, patriot, American, and they're in my circles. And by hearing me say this, I'm obviously I'm dividing myself from that. Like I don't I don't see it that way. I see that Christ is at the right hand of the Father. That's what I believe. Now, his there are no laws against love. Zero laws. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no laws against that. Those are the commandments that Christ gives. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as, as yourself. That's also in Deuteronomy. Uh-huh. They are. Love your and, neighbor as yourself. Most people don't realize that. He's, right. He's quoting the law. He Jesus is. is when he says and that. those two things, Jesus says that is the embodiment of the law. 
Yeah, all of this other nonsense because y'all couldn't be responsible for just doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to tell you exactly what I meant. And so he <laughs> don't murder, it. don't steal. Right. Yeah. So he adds a commandment. <laughs> he adds a commandment beyond that. He says, and this new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Yeah. What does that mean? How did he love you? He died. He gave everything. He lived according to God's purposes and he laid his life down. So how do how will they know that you're one of my disciples? How will they know? By how you love one another. I'm not going to take up arms and blast another country. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. I refuse to do it. If that country comes at us and they're going to try to destroy us, well, I defend my land. Of course, I'm going to defend it. But you're not like in the name I'm of God going my to children. take up your arms. I'm defending and fight. my children yeah, because God you. gave me these children. I'm defending my wife because God yeah. gave me my wife and my family. I'm going to defend myself. How are you going to defend it? They've got missiles and you've got guns. No, I've got sticks, but I also have the most powerful God ever right. on my side. Yeah. My little microcosm world, my little myopic view of the world has a God that made everything. So I'm not afraid of a nation coming at my nation and only having a stick. I'm not afraid. And guess what? When I stand and I say, no, this is what God says. I'm going to love you. You're my enemy. I'm going to love you. Now they're going to take your life, Rick. Duh. Jesus said that they would. They killed him first. He said, don't be surprised. Yeah. The minute we think that we have to defend ourselves and that we are the only ones defending, we've missed the boat. God is our rock of salvation. God is my refuge and my strength. God is my shield. That's what, that's what the believers in God say. Not America is my shield and the golden eagles flying in, man, and the US dollar. and all. Yeah, No, yeah. it's garbage. I love my nation. My wife, my wife, my daughter served this country and I'm so proud of her. I love this nation and I'm thankful that we have our soldiers. I am, but I will, I refuse to agree with going into war to take over another country. Well, for, for profit, especially. To take, to take their resources. Yeah, and if it's all, it's all under the gut. Call it what you want, for goodness gracious sake. Just read your history. The whole project of colonialism was like trying to use uh, God as a way to, as an excuse to colonize people and to take people yes. and turn them into objects. Just read your history. Yeah. You know, so I think that, and we probably wrap it up, you know, but that's just so we all understand that is this Hebrew study. You don't have to listen to it. And those of the boroughs that don't like it and don't want to be a part of it don't have to be. I'm going to write your name then. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then don't be. But where I'm heading is to that place. I'm going to show you what the Hebrew writer actually said was about to happen and how we get to the new world. And it's through Christ. <sighs> Does somebody have a dirty joke you could tell and lighten the mood a little bit? <laughs> I want a really good sound effect, but I don't know what to put in there. Just like a big wipe. <laughs> yes. It, what do you call? Yes. A, what, how about what do you call a fish with no eyes? What's that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was good. Pretty what good. do you call a deer with no eyes? <laughs> a no idea. <laughs> no idea. Uh, no idea. I love it. I like that. Lighten it up. Those are quality. You can yeah. tell that real southern, I mean, or you can bad, tell it Australian. No idea. Yeah, no yeah. Idea. <laughs> I'm not as good at the other one though. <laughs> what was that joke? What do you call a woman with only one leg? Eileen. Eileen. 
Oh. What do you call a man with no arms, no legs in the ocean? Bob. Bob. We call grown arms, legs washed up on the beach. Sandy. What do you call a man with no arms, no legs at your front uh, your front door? Matt. <laughs> what do you call him hanging on your wall? Art. Uh, <laughs> we love our differently abled people who listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you have no arms and All no legs. All these jokes are from like 92. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. they were farther back Probably, than that. Yeah, Probably, yeah. That's so. what I heard of, I guess. That was like graduation. Yeah. yeah. God, I almost had a thalidomide thing to say, but I won't go there. Rick Carter, thanks for coming up. Oh, yeah. All the way from, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Tiziana, thanks for leaving the baby yeah, for a minute. thanks to Tommy Tippy. <laughs> the that? only bottle she'll take. Oh, really? So far, yep. Yeah. Wow. And then she takes that one. Y'all, we tried so many. So many. But the Tommy Tippy's working. But the makers of Tommy Tippy, they have not paid me. I'm not. They are not sponsoring this podcast. No, they're they not. Should. They, they should because it's the only reason I'm here. Maybe we should. Maybe reach we should, out. Let's reach out. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, let's, let's, read, let's read an ad or two. See what happens. <laughs> Ralph, thanks, Andy. Yep. Sarita, I love you. Yep. Yeah, I do. I love you. <laughs> I don't know. Are you not going to come he back? Just, he just told me I was kicked off, I think. That's no, I I'm saying if you don't want to be a... Look, of course you know, I want to be a part you know where of it, just because we disagree. I know. And bring your disagreements. As long as you allow me to push back, I'm no, okay I want you, with No, it. no, I want you to. And I want you to bring your verses. Bring them. Bring them and show me why. Because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100% right on any of this, guys. I'm not. I know that. Yeah, he's no Andy. Yeah, he's no Andy. Yeah. Says her neck shirt. He's Jerry, no Andy. He's no Andy. <laughs> That's our neck shirt. He's no Andy. Yeah, I'm always merchandising. That's me. <laughs> that is great. We can all Super wear one. Merch. I'm no Andy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm no Andy, but. Thanks, Rick. Hey, it was fun. Yep. You got anything to add? I mean, nah. I mean, no. I do. You know, I'll call you later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to say these things on the air so people know. Yeah. What's talk up. about us behind our backs. No, Never. no, no, I, no. I take what we talk about. And then I'm like, hey, Rick, so I got a question. What about this? No, she'll text me at like six in the morning. <laughs> hey, I got a question. And there's like four of them. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have to write a novel to respond. Pretty much. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, you hate it, I'm sure. I, well, I don't. You I know, know me. You I love it. I, I know love you it. absolutely do. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, we will talk to you again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out. Bye, Bye y'all. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. You know why God or Jesus didn't, he told them, he said that my kingdom's not as word. You know why he didn't fight it for it? Why? Because it had to die. Mm. If he'd have fought for that nation, it would have it would have resolved it would have stopped everything he was there for.